Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Milne and I'm joined by Carol Peck. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As we go through a very unnewsworthy week of film and TV. You could not sound more excited. <laughs> we, we, have, we have struggled all day to find anything newsworthy from, from the, the world of cinema. Uh, we'll come on to that later when we do the news. Uh, quiz time. I'm 1-0 up versus Carol with Owen in the quiz chair. Yeah. Owen, which, which TV quiz host would you compare yourself to most? TV quiz host? Uh, yeah. Michael Barrymore, I think. We both, uh, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, we won't go any really further into why, but let's just leave it there. Have, have you got a swimming pool? Uh, no. Who do you think I am? No. Michael, Michael Barrymore. <laughs> I listen to you more of a, as a Bob Holness type, I think. You reckon? Yeah, like potential for Bond. Bob Monkhouse, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Bob from Monkhouse, <laughs> but you're not not quite as funny as Bob Monkhouse. He no. was actually quite funny. Who is? Who is? <laughs> you're not. You're not as serious as William G. Stewart. I don't even know don't, who that is. Oh, fifteen to one guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember one. him. Yeah. No. You're, or maybe you're a, a Richard Whiteley. <laughs> How about Whiteley. that? <laughs> <laughs> Should we sit on Richard Whiteley? Brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Owen, carry on. Uh, anyway, right, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, again, I'm not going to go any kind of chronological order. I'm just going to pick the films um, that I want, whatever. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Milne and I'm joined by Carol Peck. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. As we go through a very unnewsworthy week of film and TV. You could not sound more excited. <laughs> we, we, have, we have struggled all day to find anything newsworthy from, from the, the world of cinema. Uh, we'll come on to that later when we do the news. Uh, quiz time. I'm 1-0 up versus Carol with Owen in the quiz chair. Yeah. Owen, which which TV quiz host would you compare yourself to most? TV quiz host? Uh, yeah. Michael Barrymore, I think. We both... Uh, I, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't... We won't go any really... further into why, but let's just leave it there. Have, have you got a swimming pool? Uh, no. Who do you think I am? No. Michael, Michael Barrymore. <laughs> I listen to you more of a, as a Bob Holness type, I think. You reckon? Yeah, like potential for Bond. Bob Monkhouse, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Bob from Monkhouse, but you're not not quite as funny as Bob Monkhouse. He no. was actually quite funny. Who is? Who is? <laughs> you're not. You're not as serious as William G. Stewart. I don't even know don't, who that is. Oh, fifteen to one guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember one. him. Yeah. You're, or maybe you're a, a Richard Whiteley. <laughs> Richard Whiteley. <laughs> <laughs> Should we sit on Richard Whiteley? Brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Owen, carry on. Uh, anyway, right, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, again, I'm not going to go any kind of chronological order. I'm just going to pick the films 
um, that I want, in whatever order I want. So I'll start in 2005 with House of Nine. Pass. 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 Yeah, okay. Uh, in th- last year, in fact, they were in The Fifth Estate. Carol. Yeah. Is it Benedict Cumberbatch? It isn't Benedict Cumberbatch, no. Oh. You having a guess, Steve? No, I don't even think I... Did I see The Fifth Estate? I don't no think so. No one saw The Fifth Estate. No. <laughs> that, was the, Julie, that was the Julian Assange one, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, I, didn't see, yeah. yeah I don't know who else was in that. Okay. Well, moving on. Um, back to 1997. They were in Beam. Oh, I don't know his name. I'll just go... Oh, any bollocks that Steve, Rowan Atkinson... It isn't Rowan Atkinson, no. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's worth a go. It's just worth a go. Just Rowan Atkinson playing the fifth estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but why not? He was an interrogator in the fifth estate, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Rowan Atkinson. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. I can, only ever, I can only remember one other guy from, from Bean, and I can't remember his name or what else he's been in. <laughs> yeah, but it's not him. The guy yeah. from Ghostbusters 2, I think. No, it's not Wait, him. Wait, what? Was he in Ghostbusters 2, the guy in B? Not that I can remember. Do you mean Peter McNichol? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was also in uh, Ali McBill. He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's not him. No, so it's anyway, not him. So it doesn't matter. Right. So just confusing <laughs> me. Okay, if, two- this, if this was, quiz was guessing people who've been in films with this person, <laughs> then we'd have, we'd have Nailed it. by now. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Uh, okay, 2007, they were in Magicians. No, I'm not even going to guess that. I, li- I can't remember anyone Hell, except for... The, Steve? The... Yeah. Uh, Robert Webb? No, it wasn't That's Robert Webb. I'm, I'm just going to go for... Um, I think Olivia Coleman was in Magicians. I'm going to go for Olivia Coleman. I think she was as well, but it's not her. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. I do like Olivia Coleman, though. She's a very good actress. Um, okay, back to 2013, last year. They were in World War Z, World War Z. Carol? Yeah? Is it Peter Capaldi? It's Peter Capaldi. Yes! One all. Yeah, well done. Amazing. In his also, role s- before he became Doctor Who. Became That's the right. Where he, where, where he played Who Doctor, didn't he? Yeah. World <laughs> the Who Doctor. Doctor. Yeah. He did, yeah. he did. I saw him in... Um, the Alec Guinness part in Lady Killers on stage as well, and he was excellent. He's, Doesn't he's doing. Me. I think he's doing very well in Doctor Who, despite it being a, a pretty ropey series at the moment. I've not enjoyed many of the episodes that much, but have thought he's been pretty good as the Doctor. I have only seen the first episode of this series, and it just confirmed that the problem wasn't Matt Smith. <laughs> uh, which I sort of knew anyway. <laughs> so I, wh- what I found um, better to do is to kind of bunch them all up and watch them all together, watch about three or four episodes at, at a time, and that that's definitely what I'll do. I'll, I'll do with this series, I think. But I don't think there's a break in the middle of this one. I'm not sure. No, they're, they're hammering straight through this. They're just time. going 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 in hard. So yeah. I might have to wait until the end of the series, which would be terrible, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, bring back Russell T Davis. I say. I'm sure the end of the series will figure will include some big reset button. You think so? Every so every time it's come back, I think every end of series episode has figured has had some kind of reset button where everything's just reset back to normal. 
and only the main characters know what's happened. Except for Catherine Tate. Yeah. <laughs> that was really that was really sad. I actually thought she was quite good. In she Doctor was great. I, I didn't like her in the Christmas special, but she really won me round. And I was and I was gutted to see her leave well, at I the think, end of that I think series. It, I think in the Christmas special, they just played her as another Catherine Tate comedy character. Yeah. And then when they said, right, no, you're going to be proper companion now, she actually got a proper part and was written properly and was actually fairly decent. Yeah, I was gutted to see her leave at the end of that. I was so happy when she came back. She was, no Ro- th- she, was, she was no Rory, though. I miss Rory. I fucking hated Rory. <laughs> I like Rory. <laughs> just like the Kenny of Doctor Who, <laughs> just dying every week. <laughs> Dreadful. Anyway, should we anyway, move on to the news? Let's move on to the news. <laughs> um, there isn't any, basically. <laughs> Owen, Owen thought George Clooney was get it, uh, getting married was news for us. Uh, at one point earlier, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, then, but, then I, but then I told him we weren't closer podcast. <laughs> oh, so. okay. No, that, um, is a, that is a complete fabrication. I reject that allegation. We asked for news. You suggested George Clooney getting married. True or not? True or not? Not true. Uh, no, of course. <laughs> I said the only thing I could find was George Clooney getting married. But so that close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I do have I do have a little bit of news that um, that I've just remembered that I totally forgot all the day today, and it's not from today. It's not even from this week. But who cares? Krispy Kreme are bringing out Ghostbusters donuts. <laughs> what's what, what's what's the filling? Marshmallow. No, not ectoplasm. It's marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think they should just make like a Twinkie donut. I think I'm gonna eat so many Twinkies when I go to the states. It's, uh, so yeah, that's that's the extent of news for me. Um, and then John Hamm's going to be in Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to that. As long as they don't have that horrible poster that they had for the last series, that freaked me right out. <laughs> and it's on Netflix now. If you go onto Netflix, that picture is on there, and it's horrible. It's the one with the. Do you know the one I mean? The one with the mirror and the woman grinning. Hmm. It's really horrible. I hate it. And uh, I'm pretty sure it got banned by the advertising really? authority, yeah, because yeah. it was really scary. But now Netflix have got it all over their their categories, and I have to cover my eyes and <laughs> see it's horrible. Oh. Ugh. It's what a brilliant series it is, though, Black Mirror. It is, it is excellent, yeah. It's fantastic. That actually, it's kind of like Twilight Zone-ish, isn't it? Or um, The Outer Limits, where each episode's different. But it's so dark, so twisted. I, re- I really like it. I'm glad that it's. Again, been commissioned, and I know it's, a, it's only a Christmas episode, isn't it? This time, yes. Is that, are they actually doing full series? No, I think it's just a Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, if you want to talk about specials and and George Clooney, isn't he going to be in Downton Abbey? Ah, oh, so, yeah, I heard that as well. That's that's news that no one cares about. <laughs> I don't watch I've Downton n- Abbey, but I've uh, never all, watched an episode of Downton Abbey. <laughs> all I know is every series they have a big name who's supposed to be in it, and then everyone gets really pissed off when they're in it for about ten seconds. It's just a little minor cameo. Because wasn't Paul Giamatti in one of the seasons? Or series? No idea. Yeah. Oh, I, I, don't. I don't know. No. Has Jean-Claude Van Damme been in it? Well, I would have watched it if he was, so... Yeah, so if he hasn't, I'm not interested. No, me neither. I'd definitely two, watch two, it. But... Two Van Dams and I'll commit to a series. That's my deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other news uh, on our website is uh, another one in a relatively new series looking at the US box office chart 
Yeah, um, Callum's been um, knocking those out for us on a Monday, and um, yeah, there's a new new number one, which is one of our main releases, and we'll keep you into suspense as to which one that's going to be. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's probably obvious. It also happens to be the fourth, believe it or not, the fourth highest grossing September release ever. Yeah. That's What's in front quality. of it? What's in front of it is um, there's a, what, that shitty animated film that came out last year, Hotel Transylvania, uh, Insidious 2, um, and Sweet Home Alabama. Actually, speaking of Insidious 2, has anyone seen the trailer for Annabelle? Yes, I saw it twice on Saturday, and I walked out the second time. I hated it. What? I will not be going to see it. I was like, no, I'm going to go and get some popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It looks deeply unsettling. Yeah, I think they've put the scariest bits in the trailer, which if it's true, I'm going to be very disappointed. But it looks like they've ruined one of the best bits of the film for me. The bit with the door? With the door, yes. Yeah, yeah, I know the bit you mean. Every yeah, time I'm been... in the cinema, someone jumps out of their seat when that happens. So. Yeah, I, I can imagine that would have been quite effective. Yeah. I, but, yeah, I won't, I won't be seeing that. But it's been trumped in September releases. It's losing its title to this film. Ah, wow. the mm. mystery film. Yes. Yes. Um, mystery, unless you've not read that article. Unless you've... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's all for part one. In part two is what we've been watching. What we've been watching now, we look at what we've seen in the last week or so on TV and in the cinema. Um, Not necessarily new releases, though. Uh, Carol, do you want to start us off? Yeah, um, well, actually, last week I had a bit of a bonanza. So I went to see uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, as I um, mentioned on last week's podcast. But before that, I found myself at a bit of a loose end in the BFI, South Bank, who are having their Jim Jarmusch season at the moment. So very happily, uh, there, there was a film that fitted in just before my allotted screening. Uh, and it was called Dead Man. And I'm a bit of a Jarmusch fan, what I've seen of him. I haven't seen too many of his films. So I thought, I'll go and have a look at this. I've never, never heard of it. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go and check it out. I like what I've seen so far. Uh, so it's a film, I think it came out in 1995, and it stars, uh, Johnny Depp as the, uh, titular Dead Man. I don't think it'd be spoiling anything to give, <laughs> give that away, seeing <laughs> it's, it's the trailer of the film. Uh, it's a guy called William Blake, and sort of accidentally, uh, finds himself embroiled in, in kind of a, a double murder thing going on and he ends up uh, on the run in kind of 19th century uh, real backwater America and uh, the sheriff comes after him uh, and and sets uh, some gunmen on him because uh, the sheriff's actually Robert Mitchum who looks really really old because this is actually his last film that he ever made uh, so he's, he's in no fit state to go after, after William Blake and uh, he sends some gunmen after him, and it's it's really good. I don't know whether anyone is a Jim Jarmusch fan here. Ghost Dog, Broken Flowers. No, but I know he did um, Only Lovers Left Alive. Which, Only Lovers Left Alive, yeah. Yeah, which I still haven't seen, but I do want to see. You should definitely see it. It's yeah. really good. So I've only I haven't seen that many Jarmusch films, but what I've seen, I really really like, and I I like the fact with Jarmusch, it's kind of. It's, it's very meandering. He doesn't rush to get places. I think all the films I've seen of his are, are kind of getting on for the two-hour mark, and you could probably write 
the um the, the script for it on the back of a postage stamp basically mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter because you like spending time in in the company of these characters um it's all filmed in black and white which i found quite unusual for especially for kind of a modern western where they're all kind of saturated in color obviously old westerns were in black and white but the most recent ones you know from from kind of dollars on are, are all mm-hmm. kind of color and all saturated and it makes you go oh isn't that really lovely scenery etc etc but when it's filmed in black and white you don't really think of that and you just kind of concentrate on the characters a lot more i mean it does look really nice it's really evocative um but i think the black and white setting really helps you to concentrate on what little storyline there is but mainly the characters um and the performances so there's a lot of great performances in this film johnny depp is really good. He's quite understated, though. I think this was after Edward and Edward Scissorhands, and before Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So he was just kind of, I think he was probably just trying to figure out what what he was doing, basically. Um, but there are a lot of cameos in the film as well. So um, Lance Henriksen, not really a cameo, but kind of the main gunman after him is is really good and he's really really menacing. Um, but there's lots of little cameos in there so John Hurt uh, Robert Mitchum I've already mentioned Iggy Pop which is quite a surprising one I wasn't expecting that at all uh, Crispin Glover turns up at the start um, and it, it just seems to be kind of a, a prototype Jarmusch film I think he'd been making films for a little bit before this but it did kind of remind me a little bit of uh, of Ghost Dog Where the Samurai especially in the character that William Blake kind of runs across he runs across this uh, native uh, American called Nobody which leads to some hilarious misunderstandings um, but he seems to be kind of very much the prototype for Ghost Dog in that way of you know being like the benevolent uh, kind of person just standing back and letting everything happen basically so it if you're not a Jarmusch fan, it's not gonna, you're not gonna be converted by this film. But, if you are a Jarmusch fan, if you like Broken Flowers, as I said, Ghost Dog, Only Lovers Left Alive, I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in eventually getting around to it, because, uh, it just seems so different. You know, like you've described a western that's also sort of like a fantasy film, and, something that's a little bit contemporary as well and well maybe not contemporary but you know it's set in whatever year it's set in but made in the mid 90s I just I think there's that atmosphere that seems to be captured in a lot of mid 90s films and to see it as a western I'm, it just makes me really um, I don't know re- I just really want to see it I just uh, haven't got around to it yet unfortunately yeah, it's kind—it's kind of part western, part kind of murder mystery. Well, not murder mm. mystery, but part uh, like chase film, uh, part kind of Native American. There's a bit of yeah, there's a bit of fantasy in there as well. There's just there's just some parts which are just plain weird, frankly. But um, you know, if you if you watch kind of John Mitch films, you'll be well versed in, in his weirdness. And it, it's really interesting because I find I felt that this film was him trying to find his voice as a filmmaker you know there's a lot mm-hmm. of elements in there that you can see in his later films definitely what's what's Johnny Depp like because there's also the, the thing where around that time he was in a few um, Tim Burton films wasn't he he was just getting um, a partnership with him almost yeah so I think he'd already done oh this is really embarrassing did, did, did Tim Burton direct Edward Scissorhands he did didn't he yes yes he did so he'd already done uh, Edward Scissorhands and he was uh, I think he'd already done Edward yeah um, and he was just going on to uh, kind of his 
big uh, Hollywood star thing. So he's actually quite understated. He's, he he turns up. He's the like the protagonist, and he turns up um, at the beginning of the film, having spent all his money in getting to this place where he's been promised a job and, and hasn't been promised a job. And then um, he just kind of purely by accident winds up in this uh, kind of western western film, and uh, and you know ends up in this kind of murder um, situation. Uh, which isn't obviously his fault. He's just kind of, he's pretty good at playing the bewildered, hmm. uh, kind of young person who this is all just happening to and he just kind of shrugs and goes along with it. So, um, I actually think that personally, um, the guy who plays, uh, nobody, Gary Farmer, is, I think he kind of steals the show really. And, uh, as I said, Lance Henriksen's really good as well as the, the main gunman trying to track him down for the, uh, for the sheriff. Sounds good. Definitely recommended. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk to you all about uh, the biggest television event of <laughs> the last week. Uh, <laughs> or possibly ever, depending on um, on what your thoughts are on it. Uh, a TV crossover episode um, which featured both The Simpsons and Family Guy in, in one 43 minutes and some odd second episode um, of pure shite. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know whose idea it was for these two to cross over. Uh, possibly Foxes, Fox. Probably, possibly, yeah. Yeah, possibly, <laughs> possibly those uh, in charge at Fox. Uh, I'd like to say they were trying to kickstart two failing and declining uh TV shows, my bigger uh, thought is, considering it's Fox, they were trying to find a way to find uh, advertisers to spend a shitload of money with them, because that'll probably have about four ad breaks in America, um, having suffered American TV, well, I actually went to America on holiday for a bit. They have loads of adverts, don't they? Yeah, it's one every, like, like, five minutes. Yeah, like, like if you have an English TV show... Uh, like a half hour show you'll get starts at 8 o'clock quarter past 8-ish adverts and then it'll end at like 27 minutes past then you'll have some adverts in America it was all the time it was like start there's a minute some adverts 10 minutes adverts 10 minutes adverts 5 minutes adverts then the end it's just like what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah if you watch a lot of American TV you can see where it actually like cuts yeah. for adverts as well because I've been um, the six series of uh, Parks and Recreations up on Netflix US now went up on Saturday and yeah it, it's literally like two minutes in you can see there was meant to be an advert there 15 minutes in <laughs> 23 minutes in yeah it's mental I think Do Walking you- Dead's quite similar as well but that's meant to be an hour yeah, yeah. I was going to say do you watch The Daily Show because there's like three bits in that where it's it actually has the like the Daily Show logo that comes up, so you can see it's supposed to have had an ad break. Yeah, I used to, but then uh, more four stopped carrying it because uh, they're not very good. No, um, but any anyway, onto onto Simpsons, um, meet the Flintstones or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> that would have been yeah. amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fred Flintstone does turn up in this. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not. So yes, it starts off that uh, Family Guy. Uh, the Griffins have to leave Quahog because Peter upsets women, uh, and then they get their car nicked and they end up in Springfield where they meet the Simpsons. It's awful. It, 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 I mean, all right, 
Oh, it's not awful, awful. I did laugh uh, two times in 40 minutes, maybe three. Um, I then started to question what was actually a laugh and what constituted me laughing. Um, while I was sat in my living room on my own watching it on my laptop, and I drifted off from the story briefly, but that was during the big fight, which is usually between Peter Griffin and a chicken, and this time it's between Peter Griffin and Homer Simpson. Um, and it went on for about, I reckon like ten minutes it went on. It was, it was just pointless television. Um, at the start of the show, before they even got to Springfield, they kind of made reference to both shows not being as funny as what it was. They were like sort of watching another show on television and going, oh, it's not as good as what it used to be. It's like, well, right, you've obviously known there's a problem then. Why aren't you addressing it? Why are you just making fun of the fact that both programs are shit now? Why don't you kind of, why don't you address the problem rather than poke fun at your own problems? You know. Um, and then there was a lot of, of references to how they're the same. So throughout the whole thing, it was like, how the Simpsons, uh, how Family Guy copied the Simpsons, how the characters are rip-offs of one another, so how fam, uh, how Peter Griffin is a rip-off of Homer Simpson, which is why Fred Flintstone popped up, because I suppose he is kind of, they're both, in a way, influenced by Fred Flintstone, which is why, he, which is, which is probably why he appeared, which in, in some ways is, is quite clever, but not when, the point of being hammered home as blatantly and as bluntly as what they were in this. Um, no, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, it's... I don't know if I'd even say it's clever, it's just it, one of those things that Simpsons seems to do now, which is reference other things. You know, previously, um, the references would be quite wittily done, but yeah, just sticking Fred Flintstone in, it's just... It's so, I mean, so it, un... Simpsons like. I mean, it happened, used to be like with movie references. It it happened because um, they discovered that Paul Tuckett Patriot beer, the beer uh, from Family Guy, mm-hmm. was actually just Duff. It was ripped off from Duff. So they had a court case about that plagiarism, basically the beers, and then they had all the characters that were similar to each other sat next to each other in the courthouse. So you had uh, the two mayors sat next to each other as incompetent mayors. You had uh, the sea captain and Seamus sat next to each other as sea captain characters. <laughs> and you had the two, you had Dr. Nick and Dr. Hartman sat next to each other as inept doctors. Um, and you had Carl and Cleveland sat next to each other. That was where one of the only last came from because, um, Carl said something like, oh, do you know why they put us next to each other? And Cleveland said, because we're both the funniest guys in our town and they fist bumped. And that was about the only laugh I had for about, for a good chunk of it. And it wasn't even that funny. That's where Simpsons started to go horribly wrong for me, is where they started making Homer Simpson into Peter Griffin. Because previously he was, was, you know, he's he's an idiot, but he's a a lovable idiot and he's always trying to do the the best thing for everyone. But, I mean, I haven't watched, granted, I haven't watched a lot of the latest episodes, and, but I did watch the film, and now he just seems to be some sort of idiot. Like, well, with no well, redeeming features con- whatsoever. He, that's it, they've removed any sense of character from him. It's just a yeah. thing that stuff happens to. But I think, I think, I think kind of, of Dan Castellana, is that how you pronounce his surname? Yeah. Okay. Has, has, has referenced it and said it's basically now what he calls jerk-ass Homer, and at some points he has had to say to the writers, no, not, Homer wouldn't do this, this is too stupid, this is too far gone, this is too horrible, Homer... Because... It, 
when the Simpsons at his best, Homer was gen it was genuinely a good natured person who was just an, a fool. Well, think about the um, the episode where they discover that um, Marge is pregnant with Maggie, and he's gone off to work in the bowling alley, and then he has to go back. Mm. And that's just like that's that's the whole character in a nutshell, really, mm. isn't it? I think um, that episode is so sweet, and it resonates so much. It you know more than a cartoon has a right to, really. And then I th- I think both shows have had pops at each other in the past. Um, I mean, there was there was a ha- there was a Treehouse of Horror episode where Homer cloned himself, and in the middle of all the clones was just Peter Griffin. <laughs> and and I think Family Guy have had a few similar digs. And there was one scene towards the end, which basically was the both of them sat in the in Moe's next to each other going, well, I don't hate you anymore. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to be the best of friends, but but we certainly respect each other. And I was just, oh, really? <laughs> that, that's what you're that's what you're doing, really? It's it's just a shame, really, because all right, it is hard to maintain quality over that period of time, especially the Simpsons, which have been going for about twenty, twenty-three years. I, I think. think I think Bart. I think Bart actually made reference to it in the thing because they because Stewie asked him how long Nelson had been bullying him. He said, "Oh, twenty-four years now." <laughs> so yeah, it's hard. It's obviously hard to maintain quality for twenty-four years in a TV show. That's why most TV shows don't last twenty-four years. There's not many. I think well, there's not many that even last ten, is there? If we're honest. Well, Simpsons probably yeah. didn't last ten. And, 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 and obviously, Family Guys lasted over is, is past ten 15, seasons I think. now. Yeah. Uh, South Park is into its eighteenth season now. And South Park has maintained its quality a lot better than what The Simpsons has and what Family Guy has. Uh, it's not as good as what it was, but it certainly maintained its quality a lot better than those two. It's definitely it's, very watchable still, South Park. I can yeah, sit down mm. and happily watch any new episode. But maybe that's the way it's written. It's, it's more reactionary and it's more, you know, the, the, the documentary Seven Days to Air where they make an episode in seven days. Yeah. So that's, that's how kind of, that's how kind of current, that, but that's how kind of current it is. Um, so maybe that's got something to do with it. But Family Guy and The Simpsons, they both had their moment and they're both on the decline. And, and have been for a while and you just make I mean obviously there's a reason they're kept going because they are popular among some people and they make money for the networks but who's really watching it and still enjoying it? That's well I think there's, I a, there's, there's a there's um, a group of people who are probably like a third of our age who've never seen the older Simpsons and so No I think there are more crap there are more crap series now than there are good series oh, which absolutely. is really miserable I'd say it's about half and half. I think you can. Some people won't agree, but I think you can legitimately say from the, from season one of The Simpsons until season twelve, there's 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 solid good episodes in each season. Oh it's yeah. After, it's after that that it starts declining, and it's when they start going back into the history of Simpsons and like making Homer into a punk band when he was at college, when like he wasn't actually you know. Originally, is at college like twenty years earlier, and it just yeah. doesn't make sense, and it just looks stupid. Yeah, or the Simpsons are going to, and then they're just a place name, and that's it. That's all. They yeah. just go there, and they see some of the stereotypical cultural things, and then that's it. And but it's yeah, the Simpsons have kind of even referenced that themselves. There's, an ep- there's a a clip show, and they just sort of at the end had a song, sort of like making up plot points for the for the rest of the you know time. <laughs> And just, it was just ridiculous. And they were like poking fun at themselves. And the decline, you just think, well, so you're aware of it, so stop it. Stop it then, yeah. Why is it, exactly. why has it happened? You know what's going wrong, try harder, do better. 
because it, it, it's genuinely not so much with Family Guy but with The Simpsons it's genuinely quite sad that it's now really shit and it was it was amazing I, I did like the Lego episode I think that would have been an amazing place to end it because it was this existential crisis where everyone found out there were bits inside of a Lego box and it would have been a brilliant way to just go that's it and just drop the microphone and walk off the stage <laughs> <laughs> would have been brilliant but uh, unfortunately it didn't see fit to but that, that was actually quite funny I quite enjoyed that one I mean part of the problems with The Simpsons is is the celebrity guests on it now where it's mm. just like where it's actually giving them a part and crafting them a role as they're doing a voice of a separate character like when I think it's Dustin Hoffman came in and done the voice oh, of Lisa. Oh, the substitute, yeah. yeah some, something like that. Now or, or even when Lisa Kudrow come in and done a voice of a friend of Lisa's who come to school who Lisa didn't like in the end. Now it's just like, oh, here's 50 Cent. And he just like sticks to that car window, says the sentence the bar, and that's all he does. And it's just like, oh, here's, here's Lady Gaga, and she says a line, and that's it. That's all it is now. It's like a celebrity cameo rather than creating a part for a celebrity like they used to do well yeah. they did it with Ricky Gervais didn't they and that oh wasn't... god well, that he, was he's the worst the... episode I've he's ever seen what... hasn't, hasn't he written two episodes now or been in two episodes now I can't remember he wrote but that he's... one though that, the, that he was uh, he wrote Wife's his own part one. for yeah. yeah but he's, he's also done a voice in Family Guy as well now uh, of a dolphin. He was, a, yeah, I, I saw that one the other night, um, and I was trying to, and I was really struggling to re- remember where the, where the voice was from. <laughs> I couldn't place it. it. All I could see was a talking dolphin. So now, now every time I think of Ricky Gervais, I think of a talking dolphin. So, that's, I think, that's what I, well I, I think of another man who's in terminal, <laughs> not something else that's in terminal decline. Um, but there we, there we go. Um, so yes, that's my thoughts on that. I, I'd encourage you all not to watch it. Um, and if you do, watch it on something like Project Free TV so no advertisers get your eyeballs and money from it. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll all watch it when it comes onto English television eventually. Um, and hopefully dislike it as much as I did. But I know you're going to watch it anyway, but I wouldn't. I'm not going <laughs> to. I can't yeah, think of anything prob- worse. Yeah, I probably won't. Family Guy has had some good episodes. I yeah, think fam- probably family- about half a dozen episodes of them I really enjoyed. The Back to the Future one's great. Family Guy it was it was good it did you know it went for a point of being really but the thing is I'll watch Family Guy back now and not laugh at the ones that I did laugh at before Mm. and I won't laugh at any new ones The Simpsons I won't laugh at the new ones but if I go back and watch one of the absolute classic Simpsons I'll still laugh at it this is where I'm very grateful for um, Virgin's EPG will tell you when an episode was first aired. So you've got like a cut-off point of about 2,000 for The Simpsons. So if it's like 90-something, you're golden. If it's after that, just, you know, change the channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Owen, what have, what have you watched? Well, I don't know how to follow that. Um, <laughs> the film I was going to talk about, or I am going to talk about still... Was The Simpsons movie. It was not the Simpsons no. movie, no. It wasn't Blue Harvest by Family Guy, it wasn't the Safe Park movie, it wasn't any of those, I'm afraid. Um, it was uh, a film from 1955 from Denmark in black and white. Quite an existential film, I'm afraid. So You're, you're having another one of these in the post, aren't you, soon? Uh, we'll be getting one of these in the post, yeah. yeah we'll we'll talk a, about that at the end, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this one's called uh, Audette, or The Word as its English name is, but it's on all death everywhere but in America. Um, it's, uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is because I have talked about a few of the director's films before, 
Uh, it's Carl Theodore Dreyer, who I'm not going to go over why I like his other films again. Passion of Joan of Arc one of my favourite films. I like Day of Wrath, Gertrude I reviewed on here and was very disappointed by. But Audette is his film from 1955, which is the only one of his that was both commercially se- successful uh, and critically successful as well. So uh, his other films, some of them being quite well received by critics, they're in the sight and sound top top 10, top 100, um, but didn't make much money, and other films made money but were kind of critical flops, so this is the only one that was both, it was both, so, um, yeah, but it's from 1955, it's set in the 1920s, and basically the, the story's about a family, and there's three brothers, part of this small little farming family, um, one of them is married, but he's not atheist. Their dad's a pastor, but he's not hes not atheist, but he just doesn't really believe. He just doesn't, you know, it, praying and going to church and all that. It's not really for him. There's another brother who is uh, younger, who is trying to woo another lady in their um, little village, but father of this woman is a different pastor and there's a bit of a feud between the two families and the final brother is called Johannes and he's probably the most interesting character in the film because he used to study religious texts but now he has presumably gone slightly insane and thinks he's Jesus Christ so he wouldn't have re- yeah it's a bit unusual but we've, we've um, all been there <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the film is also kind of about faith, as you'd expect, but also family, um, uh, again about belonging, like a lot of um, Caulfield or Dreyer's other films are, um, uh, kind of a, a naturalistic look at uh, people, at fa- how these, these families and religion and faith and it all comes together and what, what that means to different people. It, it's, it's a brilliant film, it is extraordinary. Um, is it better than Passion of Joan of Arc? Probably not. I would say it is probably better than Day of Wrath, though. Um, and they're both better than Gertrude by a million miles. But it, I don't know, it's a bit weird because it's also kind of supernatural in a little, a slightly peculiar way. It's either you don't really understand what's happening, and it's not because science doesn't explain it, it's because the characters can't comprehend it, or, there is something spectacular going on, something you can't explain. Um, but I mean, to, 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 to talk about it without spoiling it, basically one of the brother's wives, um, she's pregnant and during childbirth she dies. And this causes a huge amount of grief for the family, it sort of tears them all apart as you'd expect. Um, and yeah, I, I can't really go into why it, it's supernatural without spoiling any further but you know the whole sort of religion about about Christ um, it, it, it's amazing actually it's, it's it's one of these films that really forces you to think about what what's going on but again like Carl Theodore Dreyer's other films it's very slow things happen at a very timid pace and you're left to um, to pay attention to exactly what people are saying what's going on um how they are interacting with each other, how just little changes are occurring through the film, and uh, yeah, honestly, I think it's a brilliant film. 
I've only got Vampire left of his major films that I want to see now, and that'll be sort of his five films he made over five, over five, over six decades, I think he made them. Um, but yeah, brilliant film. But it has kind of dragged the, the tone of this podcast today now, because it, quite, it is quite a serious film, and we were just laughing and joking about Simpsons, so I think I'll just end it there, and we can move on to some new releases, and I'll stop boring everyone. Okay. Um, in, in a moment, we'll move on to some new releases, and hopefully, Owen will stop boring everyone. I'll stop boring people. Yes, hopefully. Time for us to review a couple of new releases now. Uh, not as many as last week, though. Only half as many as last week. Um, but Owen, you have seen the new Denzel Washington uh, movie, The Equalizer. Yeah, The Equalizer, which is the film that is now the fourth highest... Remember, that fourth highest grossing film of September ever. In the, U- in the US, or is, is it globally? Ever, I think globally, yeah. Wow. So, there you That's go. A, mm. uh, <laughs> is it just me, but like The Equalizer in England doesn't sound like... It's meant to be like probably like a gripping, oh, this is an action film, he's The Equalizer. Because like... In 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 America they don't have draws in sport, but in England you see equalizer <laughs> and you just think, right, it's it's one all now. And it's a bit, it's a bit. Yeah, ugh. I can confirm there's no Phil Jagielka in this yeah. film. But 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 you get what I mean. Like it's meant to be like, and for me it's just like the equalizer isn't like this big, powerful like oh action film title, like the Expendables or something like that. It's just like the equalizer. Oh, someone scored and it's one all now, and the, game's <laughs> gonna, and the game's gonna end like that. It's gonna be really boring. Or is it just that, is it just me that that work, that happens? No, I totally <laughs> thought of Edward Woodward instead. Yeah, well, it is based, of course, on well, sort of a remake-ish of the old British TV show with Edward Woodward. Um, but there's no flaming giant wicker man in this, unfortunately. Um, no. Yeah, this version stars obviously Denzel Washington as Robert, who is uh, a man with a mysterious past and very peculiar specific set of skills who uh, works in a hardware superstore during the day uh, he's got trouble sleeping so he frequents um, a cafe usually about one or two in the morning which is where he meets Chloe Moretz Grace Chloe Grace Moretz I can never remember which way around it is who is a prostitute who's having trouble with a client of hers um, but you also get to see then Denzel and, and Chloe have a kind of friendship that that develops between the two of them. Again, 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 like anglicised versions of things. Is it is it Denzel or is it Denzel? Because Denzel just makes me think of Only Fools and Horses, <laughs> and he's and he's definitely not Denzel, is he? Is it is it Denzel? Well, I think in America, Denzel. Yeah, I think it's Denzel, isn't it? I think if you, I think like I've heard in America, like an American TV show, he's Denzel. Like I said, Denzel's well, Denzel's definitely over Only Fools and Horses. Okay. Different, different film. For, just yeah. for you, Steve, I will yeah. start pronouncing his name correctly. Yeah. It's Denzel. Denzel. The emphasis on the Zell. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, right. Yes, basically, due to the particular situation of Chloe Grace Moretz, Chloe Moretz Grace, whichever way it is, due to her situation, um, some things happen which forces a darker side out of Robert um, and it gets unleashed on the people who are treating uh, Chloe Grace and Rex badly. Uh, it's directed by Antoine Fuqua, uh, the director who made uh, Olympus Has Fallen last year, 
which I've only ever watched 10 minutes of and got bored. And he also made the Mark Wahlberg thriller Shooter in 2007, which was okay as well. Uh, and going further back, he worked with Denzel Washington uh, on perhaps his most famous movie, or Fuqua's uh, most famous movie, uh, Training Day. So what? which one was Olympus's film? Was that Channing Tatum? Jared and Butler, isn't it? Yeah. Gerard Butler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's two, isn't there? White yeah. House Down, Olympus has fallen. Yeah, my dad loves it, but my oh, dad also loves Taken too. So, you know, I didn't think Taken Two was too bad. <laughs> it was okay, um, but yeah, I mean, I got ten minutes in, and then I thought, well, there's another hour and fifty minutes of this to go. I've got better things to do. So I gave up on that one. But I do like Training Day. I do like Training Day. That's a good film, and as yeah, I say, Shooters all right as well. Um, but I think of those three movies. Uh, and including The Equalizer, The Equalizer probably shares a lot more in common with um, Shooter in the way that it looks. Um, it's not very much like Training Day, but the, the sort of, you know, it's, it, it has a very polished style to it. You know, have you seen Shooter, either of you? With no, I don't think I have. Okay. It's got a very gleams almost on the screen. It's just very polished, everything is very smooth. Uh, very crisp. The story as well is quite dark. Um, with the Equalizer, it deals with a rather sad and, and lonely man who's doing things he swore he'd never do again, which is also a little bit similar to Shooter, just a little bit similar. Um, and the colour palette seems to match the, the tone of the, the actual story, so there's lots of dark greys, dark blues. A lot of the film takes place in uh, a low-level light or even at night time. So there's nice, one nice little aspect to the film, really. Uh, is the way it looks and it reflects the actual the actual tone of of the story as well. So I quite enjoyed that. However, uh, the quality of the film overall is just a little bit uneven. Um, Denzel is basically playing Walter White from Breaking Bad. If Walter White was written for Charles Bronson's role in Death Wish, that's essentially what you left with with the Equalizer. You know, on the face of it, he seems like quite a complex character. He's got um, OCD, you know, he's compassionate. Um, you know, there's reasons he's not married. And it's, you know, not to mention this menacing air that he just carries with him the whole time. It, it's There's something about him quite believably being a dangerous guy. Yet, he's clearly well-read. He's um, He seems quite educated. He's very supportive of the people around him. But there's, you know, there's something sinister underneath there. And taking nothing away from Denzel's performance either, as he really does come across as a proper badass at times, there are a few action scenes and he's he's great in them. So taking nothing from away from Denzel's performance, but there's there's something in it that's... I don't know. It's not his best performance, I don't think. It's also an unnecessarily long movie. You know, I mean, I'd say it was unnecessarily long. I'm sure Antoine Fuqua would probably disagree. But at 130 minutes... It's too much, and you know I, I appreciate the episodic structure of it. The film, um, it make, it's quite well paced. It doesn't dwell too much on one particular area. It just goes from step to step, uh, building from uh, a slight grievance with a pimp to a big falling out with the mafia, and then his personal feud that develops with a uh, character played by Martin uh, Soskas, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's the guy who's hired by the Russian Mafia to find out who Denzel Washington is. Denzel, sorry, not Denzel. Uh, it's too late it's now. No, uh, yeah, too late, I've said it. You've <laughs> said it now. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's very well structured. It's just there's no real reason that the structure had to last over two hours. 
there are, there were scenes that feel a little bit like filler, and it's a long time to watch a man just be quite cool for a bit. You know, he's a he, okay. He's a right wing vigilante sort of character, but he is quite cool, and it's just it's not enough to to stain it for two hours. And I feel like it's harsh criticising it as well by calling it shallow, because it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just that what you get is what you see. And that's fine sometimes, that's fine. But it just isn't any more than the sum of its parts. And there's no real social commentary either. It's all, I mean, it's all a bit fantastical, and ultimately it's a decent action thriller with some very good individual scenes. Um, and I don't say this very often, because I also think this is quite a shallow thing to say, but it has my favourite explosion scene in any film this year. And I've seen Transformers 4, and I had plenty of explosions in it. But this this has a better explosion scene. Um, and, and like I said, there are very good individual scenes. The final showdown bit, which is inevitable with an action thriller that takes place, is a really good, suspenseful bit of action. But that's all it is. It's It's a good enough film, good enough action thriller, but it's nothing more. And for a film that's got to be over two hours long, it needs something more to it. So it is a little bit lacking, it is a little bit shallow. But like I say, maybe that's... I'm looking for the wrong things and I should just accept it as all it is, which is just a action thriller with Denzel Washington shooting some bad guys. And so for that, it's it's okay. It's quite good. But it needed more for me and it didn't, it didn't have it. Okay. And Carol has seen uh, a map to the stars... Maps to the stars. Maps to the stars. Come on, it's better. It's better than <laughs> a, a, wo- mo- wanted by most people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's better. It was, it was, I was like one word out on that one, wasn't I? I put an at in. I put an at in front. They, you know, other than that, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, tell us about that one. You and your superfluous words. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, talking about things that, that needed more to them. Um, so yeah, I, I saw this. I I like David Cronenberg. I I do like his films. Well, what the films that I've seen of his, I'm not just talking about the Fly and, and Scanners mm. and Video Drone, but also uh, History of Violence. I love that film. Mm. Really, really good film. Uh, yeah. Eastern Promises. Uh, I haven't seen Cosmopolis, which is his previous film uh, to prior to Maps of the Stars uh, with Robert Pattinson, but I hear it is very good. So this arrives with quite a lot of. Um, quite a lot of promise and I was quite looking forward to seeing this uh, so basically it follows kind of an ensemble cast really they are all connected together kind of loosely um, in Hollywood and you have uh, so you have like a child star who is just like one of the best performances in the whole thing I think he's utterly he's, he's like a smaller Justin Bieber a, like massively obnoxious little shit who's made his fortune in these uh, in these crappy kind of kids films about babysitters and uh, it's just fantastic absolutely brilliant performance by the uh, by the young lad I think his name's Evan uh, I can't, Evan Davis I think it was um but uh, yeah, so it also stars uh, John Cusack, and John Cusack's one of my favourite people as well. I absolutely love him. He's he's been in some in some nonsense. His quality control is is a bit poor at times, but he's always worth watching in it. Uh, Julianne Moore, I think, is pretty much the same as well. Um, and you know, even Robert Pattinson, you know, he, he's yeah, all right, he's been in Twilight, but he's also been in a couple of, of decent films. But uh, so you know, yeah, my expectations for this were really high, and I think. That, pros- that probably worked against it quite a lot because I found it really, really dull. Um, it's meant to be a, a satire on on the whole kind of Hollywood thing, and, and you know, it, 
Hollywood's pretty self-piss-taking as it is. I, I think if you're going to make a satire of, of Hollywood life, you have to make it really on the nose and on the mark. Um, but with this, it just felt like everything was just kind of put together. It was kind of like the, 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 the um, sentence that I thought of while I was watching this was, in ITV used to do really good satires like Spitting Image and stuff. But now, if ITV did a satire, it would be Maps to the Stars. It's just horribly obvious and, and just mm. painfully kind of hitting you over the head with the same point over and over and over again. And it's just incredibly dull. You know, there's nothing, nothing really happens until the last half an hour. The last half an hour, you know, you, you do get a bit of the, you do get a bit of the uh, satirical kind of stuff going on. But mainly it's just people saying that, look, aren't we really clever at how we're taking the piss out of the whole Hollywood system here? Oh, look, this is just, we're, you know, we're all massively clever and, and we're all above it. Where in fact they're not, because I saw Julianne Moore in fucking Hannibal, and that's one of the worst films I've ever seen, so she can just get to fuck. <laughs> frankly. <laughs> quite frankly. It was just, it, it's not a horrible film, but it's just, it's painfully boring. It's not even two hours long. And I was checking my watch about half an hour through thinking it must have been I, I don't normally check my watch much during a film I saw the Riot Club as well um, this week and the first time I checked my watch was ten minutes before the end um, but yeah half an hour into this and I was kind of looking at the hour hand as well thinking that can't be right <laughs> I can't have only been in here for half an hour it's just it's painfully dull it's had some great reviews It I think The Guardian gave it five stars I just couldn't get on board with it at all. It's just, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer. Um, there are some decent performances in it, admittedly. Um, Olivia Williams is really good, I think. And, um, I'm going to horribly fail at saying her name again, but, um, Mia, uh, Wasikowska? Wasikowska, I think. Wasikowska. Oh, it wasn't far yeah. off. Um, she, she's pretty decent as well. She's kind of this messed up kid who arrives on a bus in, in Hollywood at the beginning of the film. Um, so yeah, she's pretty decent. And the, and the kid who plays the kind of, the kid who plays Justin Bieber, essentially, is, uh, is really, really good. But, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's really kind of, it's really boring. Uh, it makes a big point of mentioning lots of kind of star names, like Carrie Fisher pops up at one point because everyone's just mentioned her. She's like Candyman. Everyone's mentioned her like three times and she pops up. And, uh, it's just, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. And, and this is coming from a, as I said, a big fan of Cronenberg. So you might enjoy it, but I definitely didn't. <laughs> I did. Seems like oh. we're the opposite way around to uh, The Guardian this week because they gave The Equalizer one star. We, I would say that was a bit better than, than that. I think they were a bit harsh on that. And you think they've been too generous with maps to the stars, so. I think Cronenberg probably merits an automatic five stars from them no matter what he's done. Wow. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't think this is worthy of five stars in any way, shape or form. I just, it just wasn't entertaining. On the basis level, it just wasn't entertaining enough. Yeah. So the oh. fail critics rivalry with Peter Bradshaw continues. I was going to say, was it Peter James's Bradshaw? Absence. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I didn't check, but... Uh... The Guardian's Jon Snow. Yeah, one, of the, <laughs> one of the people who wrote films about The Guardian linked my article about The Green Arrow. Not Green Lantern, so... That's true. So, that that came out of nowhere. That surprised me. <laughs> one way rivalry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> you saying about it now. So, what the fuck? Alright, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so that's uh, almost all for this week then. Uh, just before we go, some recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend the, f- the film that I spoke about 
uh, in what we've been watching last week. It's going to be on BBC iPlayer. It's called Marvelous, um, about a guy called Neil Bolden and played excellently by Toby Jones. You all need to go and watch it. Uh, Owen? Uh, I'm cheating. I'm choosing two because I don't know how long one of them's been on ne- Netflix, but The Sacramento is on Netflix, which is Ty West's latest film, Better Cult, which is pretty good. But on ITV4 on Sunday at 25 past two in the afternoon, uh, psychological thriller starring Lawrence Harvey as a soldier who was captured during the Korean War and brainwashed into carrying out assassinations after certain triggers, which is called uh, The Manchurian or Mancurian Candidate. Um, it's very good. Frank Sinatra's in it. He's great as well. It's a very good 1960s post-war psychological drama. Okay, um, Carol. I think the Manchurian Candidate's on Saturday as well because I almost recommended ah, it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah, I've actually got two as well because there's a good reason for this though because you can watch the first one and if you don't like it you can switch over to the second one because the first one's not going to be for everyone. But on t- uh, five... Is it called Channel 5 or is it just called 5 now? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, on Sunday at 10pm is uh, The Punisher. Uh, not the Dolph Lundgren version, but the Thomas Jane version, which I found perfectly adequate, thank you very much. Yeah, it's alright. It's it's not bad. It gets a really bad reputation. Uh, it's not as good as The Ray Stevenson, but it's not as good as Warzone. But, uh, uh, I thought it was better than that. Really? Even with Kevin Nash in it. I still oh, thought no. it was better than Warzone. Okay. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, that's on, um, 10 o'clock. But if you don't, if you watch that and you're like, oh, John Travolta's a bit hammy for me, I'm afraid, <laughs> then you can turn over at 10 to 11 on film four is, uh, The Kids Are Alright, which I remember reviewing a few, few podcasts back, um, about a lesbian couple whose kids decide they want to find their biological dad. And it's quite good, it's quite sweet, it's got some great performances in it. Okay. Uh, so that's all for this week's podcast. Next week, uh, I suppose we'll be reviewing Gone Girl. Yes. Hopefully. Well, you will be. I won't be here. You'll, you'll be absent. I'll be in New York. Uh, <laughs> oh, and we're going to have to find someone else to step in. Cause I can't. I can't talk to you for an hour and publish it because <laughs> oh, no. God knows what. God knows what will happen. Um, but next week, or on the website as well, in, in the next week or so, um, we will have a review of a French film from the 1930s that was banned by the Vichy government, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say ever <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah. Yes, the people from uh, EM Foundation who done, who worked with us and basically were really nice to us, um, helping us with all the interviews and inviting us to screenings of Next Goal Wins, uh, got in touch with me in the week and asked me personally if I'd like to, to review uh, Le, Le Jour Se Lève, is how it's said in France. Um, I mean, what is that in English? You're asking the wrong person. Carol's the one who did French. Oh, I don't know that. That's beyond my. That's beyond oh, my limits. <laughs> well, Jura's day. Daybreak is the English title. Yeah, it translates as the translates as the sun comes up. Um, okay. In, if I put it through Google Translate, but Owen's done a bit of research and found out the English is set daybreak. Daybreak. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Because when um, you told me about it, I had no idea what it was, and then when I looked it up online, I was like, "Oh, daybreak! Yeah, I know of daybreak, but I never thought I'd watch it." Um, oh, oh, daybreak! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, we've got that to look forward to on the on the website in the in the week to come, uh, as well as all the usual stuff, week in film box office reviews um, Callum's probably doing something as well um, reviewing <laughs> Dreamworks yeah. film I expect <laughs> without a yeah. doubt yeah 
um, and all the usual stuff. And we'll be back same time next week ish with a with a podcast uh, minus Carol. Yeah, I did like Olivia Coleman though. She's a very good actress. Um, okay, back to 2013. Last year, they were in World War Z, World War Z. Carol. Yeah. Is it Peter Capaldi? It's Peter Capaldi. Yes. One all. Yeah, well done. Amazing. In his also, final role sh- before he became Doctor Who. Became That's the right. Where he where where he played. Who Doctor, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> the Who Doctor. doctor. Yeah. He did, yeah. he did. I saw him in um, the Alec Guinness part in Lady Killers on stage as well, and he was excellent. He's, Doesn't he's doing, me. I think he's doing very well in Doctor Who, despite it being a, a pretty ropey series at the moment. I've not enjoyed many of the episodes that much, but I have thought he's been pretty good as the Doctor. I have only seen the first episode of this series and it just confirmed that the problem wasn't Matt Smith, <laughs> uh, which I sort of knew anyway. <laughs> so I, wh- what I found um, better to do is to kind of bunch them all up and watch them all together, watch about three or four episodes at, at a time and that that's definitely what I'll do. I'll, I'll do with this series, I think. But I don't think there's a break in the middle of this one, I'm not sure. No, they're, they're hammering straight through this They're just going, going, going in hard. So yeah. I might have to wait until the end of the series, which would be terrible, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, bring back Russell T. Davis, I say. I'm, I'm sure the end of the series will figure, will include some big reset button. You think so? Every, so every time it's come back, I think every end of series episode has figured, has had some kind of reset button where everything's just reset back to normal and only the main characters know what's happened. Except for Catherine Tate. Yeah, <laughs> that was really that was really sad. I actually thought she was quite good. In she Doctor was great. I I didn't like her in the Christmas special, but she really won me round, and I was and I was gutted to see her leave well, at I the think, end of that I series. Think it, I think in the Christmas special, they just played her as another Catherine Tate comedy character. Yeah, and then when they said, "Right, no, you're going to be proper companion now," she actually got a proper part and was written properly and was actually fairly decent. Yeah, I was gutted to see her leave at the end. Of that. I was so happy when she came back. She was, no never Ro- th- she, she was no Rory, though. I miss She's Rory. Fuck, I fucking hated Rory. <laughs> I like Rory. <laughs> just like the Kenny of Doctor Who, <laughs> just <laughs> dying every week. <laughs> Dreadful. Anyway, should we anyway, move on to the news? Let's move on to the news. <laughs> um, there isn't any, basically. <laughs> Owen, Owen thought George Clooney was get it, uh, getting married was news for us. Uh, at one point earlier, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, then, but, then I, but then I told him we weren't closer podcast. <laughs> oh, so. Okay, no, that, um, is a, that is a complete fabrication. I reject that allegation. <laughs> we asked for news. You suggested George Clooney getting married. True or not? True or not? Not true. Uh, no, of course. <laughs> I said the only thing I could find was George Clooney getting married. But so that close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I do have I do have a little bit of news that um, that I've just remembered that I totally forgot all the day today, and it's not from today. It's not even from this week. But who cares? Krispy Kreme are bringing out Ghostbusters donuts. 
what's 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 the filling? Marshmallow. No, not ectoplasm. It's marshmallow. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think they should just make like a Twinkie donut. I think I'm gonna eat so many Twinkies when I go to the states. It's uh, so yeah. That's that's the extent of news for me. Um, and then John Hamm's gonna be in Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. As long as they don't have that horrible poster that they had for the last series, that freaked me right out. <laughs> and it's on Netflix now. If you go onto Netflix, that picture is on there and it's horrible. It's the one with the... Do you know the one I mean? The one with the mirror and the woman grinning. Hmm. It's really horrible. I hate it. And uh, I'm pretty sure it got banned by the advertising <laughs> authority. Yeah. Because yeah. it was really scary. But now Netflix have got it all over their, their categories and I have to cover my eyes <laughs> and see it's horrible. Oh. Ugh. What a brilliant series it is, though, Black Mirror. It is, it is excellent, yeah. It's fantastic. That actually, it's kind of like Twilight Zone-ish, isn't it? Or um, The Outer Limits, where each episode's different. But it's so dark, so twisted. I, re- I really like it. I'm glad that it's, again, been commissioned. And I know it's, a, it's only a Christmas episode, isn't it, this time? Yes. Are they actually doing the full series? No, I think it's just a Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if you want to talk about specials and... And George Clooney, isn't he going to be in Downton Abbey? Ah, oh, yeah, so, I heard that as well. That's that's news that no one cares about. <laughs> I don't watch I've Downton n- Abbey, but I've uh, never all, watched an episode of Downton Abbey. <laughs> all I know is every series they have a big name who's supposed to be in it, and then everyone gets really pissed off when they're in it for about ten seconds. It's just a little minor cameo because wasn't Paul Giamatti in one of the seasons or series? No idea. Yeah, oh, I, I, I don't know. No. Has Jean Claude Van Damme been in it? Well, I would have watched it if he was, so... Yeah, so if he hasn't, I'm not interested. No, me neither. I'd and definitely two, watch two, it. Two Van Dams and I'll commit to a series. That's my deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other news uh, on our website is uh, another one in a relatively new series looking at the US box office chart. Yeah. Um, Callum's been um, knocking those out for us on a Monday. And... Um, yeah, there's a new new number one, which is one of our main releases, and we'll keep you into suspense as to which one that's going to be. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably obvious. <laughs> it also happens to be the fourth, believe it or not, the fourth highest grossing September release ever. Yeah. That's What's in of front quality. of it? What's in front of it is um, there's a, what, that shitty animated film that came out last year, Hotel Transylvania. Uh, Insidious 2. Um, and Sweet Home Alabama. Actually, speaking of Insidious 2, has anyone seen the trailer for Annabelle? Yes, I saw it twice on Saturday, and I walked out the second time. I hated it. What? I will not be going to see it. I was like, no, I'm going to go and get some popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It looks deeply unsettling. Yeah, I think they've put the scariest bits in the trailer, which if it's true, I'm going to be very disappointed. But it looks like they've ruined one of the best bits of the film for me. The bit no, with the door. With the door, yes. Yeah, yeah, I know the bit you mean. Every yeah, time I'm been... in the cinema, someone jumps out of their seat when that happens. So. Yeah, I, I can imagine that would have been quite effective. Yeah. I, but, yeah, I won't, I won't be seeing that. But it's been trumped in September releases. It's losing its title to this film. Ah, wow. The mm. mystery film. Yes. Yes. Um, mystery, unless you've not read that article. Unless you've <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, that's all for part one. In part two is what we've been watching. Mm-hmm.
what we've been watching now where we look at what we've seen in the last week or so on TV and in the cinema um, not necessarily new releases though uh, Carol do you want to start us off yeah, um, well actually last week I had a bit of a bonanza So I went to see uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover As I um, mentioned on last week's podcast But before that, I found myself at a bit of a loose end In the BFI, South Bank Who are having their Jim Jarmusch season at the moment So very happily, uh, there, there was a film that fitted in Just before my allotted screening uh, And it was called Dead Man And I'm a bit of a Jarmusch fan, what I've seen of him I haven't seen too many of his films So I thought I'll go and have a look at this I've never, never heard of it um, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go and check it out. I like what I've seen so far. Uh, so it's a film, I think it came out in 1995, and it stars, uh, Johnny Depp as the, uh, titular dead man. I don't think it would be spoiling anything to give, <laughs> give that away, seeing <laughs> it's, it's the trailer of the film. Uh, it's a guy called William Blake, and sort of accidentally, uh, finds himself embroiled in, in kind of a, a double murder thing going on and he ends up uh, on the run in kind of 19th century uh, real backwater America and uh, the sheriff comes after him uh, and and sets uh, some gunmen on him because uh, the sheriff's actually Robert Mitchum who looks really really old because this is actually his last film that he ever made uh, so he's, he's in no fit state to go after after William Blake and uh, he sends some gunmen after him, and it's it's really good. I don't know whether anyone is a Jim Jarmusch fan here. Ghost Dog, Broken Flowers. No, but I know he did um, Only Lovers Left Alive. Which, Only Lovers Left Alive, yeah. Yeah, which I still haven't seen, but I do want to see. You should definitely see it. It's yeah. really good. So I've only I haven't seen that many Jarmusch films, but what I've seen, I really really like, and I I like the fact with Jarmusch, it's kind of. It's, it's very meandering. He doesn't rush to get places. I think all the films I've seen of his are, are kind of getting on for the two-hour mark, and you could probably write the um, the, the script for it on the back of a postage stamp, basically. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really matter because you like spending time in in the company of these characters. Um, it's all filmed in black and white, which I found quite unusual for especially for kind of a modern western where they're all kind of saturated in colour. Obviously old westerns were in black and white but the most recent ones, you know, from from kind of dollars on are, are all mm-hmm. kind of colour and they're all saturated and it makes you go, Oh, isn't that really lovely scenery, etc etc. But when it's filmed in black and white you don't really think of that and you just kind of concentrate on the characters a lot more. I mean it does look really nice and it's really evocative. Um, but I think the black and white setting really helps you to concentrate on what little storyline there is, but mainly the characters um, and the performances. So there's a lot of great performances in this film. Johnny Depp is really good. He's quite understated, though. I think this was after Edward and Edward Scissorhands and before Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, so he was just kind of... I think he was probably just trying to figure out what what he was doing, basically. Um, but there are a lot of cameos in the film as well, so... Um, Lance Henriksen, not really a cameo, but kind of the main gunman after him is, is really good and he's really, really menacing. Um, but there's lots of little cameos in there. So John Hurt, uh, Robert Mitchum, I've already mentioned, Iggy Pop, which is quite a surprising one. I wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, Crispin Glover turns up at the start. Um, and it, it just seems to be kind of a, a prototype 
Jarmusch film. I think he'd been making films for a little bit before this, but it did kind of remind me a little bit of uh, of Ghost Dog: Where the Samurai, especially in the character that William Blake kind of runs across. He runs across this uh, Native uh, American called Nobody, which leads to some hilarious misunderstandings. Um, but he seems to be kind of very much the prototype for Ghost Dog in that way of you know, being like the benevolent uh, kind of person just standing back and letting everything happen, basically. So it, if you're not a Jarmusch fan, it's not going to... you're not going to be converted by this film. But if you are a Jarmusch fan, if you like Broken Flowers, as I said, Ghost Dog, Only Lovers Left Alive, I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in eventually getting around to it because uh, it just seems so different you know like you described a western that's also sort of like a fantasy film and something that's a little bit contemporary as well and well maybe not contemporary but you know it's set in whatever year it's set in but made in the mid 90s I just I think there's that atmosphere that seems to be captured in a lot of mid 90s films and to see it as a western it just makes me really um, I don't know I just really want to see it I just uh, haven't got around to it yet unfortunately yeah, it's kind—it's kind of part western, part kind of murder mystery. Well, not murder mm. mystery, but part uh, like chase film, uh, part kind of Native American. There's a bit of yeah, there's a bit of fantasy in there as well. There's just there's just some parts which are just plain weird, frankly. But um, you know, if you if you watch kind of John Mitch films, you'll be well versed in, in his weirdness. And it, it's really interesting because I find I felt that this film was him trying to find his voice as a filmmaker you know there's a lot mm-hmm. of elements in there that you can see in his later films definitely what's what's Johnny Depp like because there's also the, the thing where around that time he was in a few um, Tim Burton films wasn't he he was just getting um, a partnership with him almost yeah so I think he'd already done oh this is really embarrassing did, did, did Tim Burton direct Edward Scissorhands he did didn't he yes yes he did so he'd already done uh, Edward Scissorhands and he was uh, I think he'd already done Edward yeah um, and he was just going on to uh, kind of his big uh, Hollywood star thing so he's actually quite understated he's, he he turns up he's the like the protagonist and he turns up um, at the beginning of the film having spent all his money in getting to this place where he's been promised a job and, and hasn't been promised a job and then um he just kind of purely by accident winds up in this uh, kind of western western film and uh and you know ends up in this kind of murder um situation uh which isn't obviously his fault he's just kind of he's pretty good at playing the bewildered hmm. uh kind of young person who this is all just happening to and he just kind of shrugs and goes along with it so um i actually think that personally um the guy who plays uh, nobody gary farmer is I think he kind of steals the show really, and uh, as I said, Lance Henriksen's really good as well as the the main gunman trying to track him down for the uh, for the sheriff. Sounds good. Definitely recommended. Okay, well I'm going to talk to you all about uh, the biggest television event of <laughs> the last week, uh, <laughs> or possibly ever, depending on um, on what you're thoughts are on it uh, a TV crossover episode um, which featured both The Simpsons and Family Guy in in one 43 minutes and some odd second episode um, of pure shite 
Um, yeah, so I don't know whose idea it was for these two to cross over. Uh, possibly Fox's Fox. Probably, possibly, uh... yeah, possibly, <laughs> possibly those uh, in charge at Fox. Uh, I'd like to say they were trying to kickstart two failing and declining uh, TV shows. My bigger uh, thought is, considering it's Fox, they were trying to find a way to find uh, advertisers to spend a shitload of money with them. Because that'll probably have about four ad breaks in America. Um, having suffered American TV, well, I actually went to America on holiday for a bit. They have loads of adverts, don't they? Yeah, it's one of <laughs> like, you, like, five minutes. Yeah, like, like if you have an English TV show, uh, like a half-hour show, you'll get... Starts at 8 o'clock, quarter past 8-ish, adverts, and then it'll end at, like, 27 minutes past, then you'll have some adverts... In America, it was all the time. It's like, start, there's a minute, some adverts, ten minutes adverts, ten minutes adverts, five minutes adverts, then the end. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, if you watch a lot of American TV, you can see where it actually like cuts yeah. for adverts as well, because I've been, um, the six series of uh, Parks and Recreations up on Netflix US now, went up on Saturday. And yeah, it, it's literally like two minutes in, you can see there was meant to be an advert there, 15 minutes in, <laughs> 23 minutes in. Yeah. It's mental. I think <laughs> Walking Dead's quite similar as well, but that's meant to be an hour. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, do you watch The Daily Show? Because there's like three bits in that where it's... It actually has the like the Daily Show logo that comes up, so you can see it's supposed to have had an ad break. Yeah, I used to, but then uh, more force stopped carrying it because uh, they're not very good. No, um, but any anyway, onto onto Simpsons, um, meet the Flintstones or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> that would have been yeah. amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fred Flintstone does turn up in this. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not. So yes, it starts off that uh, Family Guy. Uh, the Griffins have to leave Quahog because Peter upsets women. Uh, and then they get their car nicked and they end up in Springfield where they meet the Simpsons. It's awful. It, 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 I mean, alright, it's not awful, awful. I did laugh uh, two times in 40 minutes, maybe three. Um, I then started to question what was actually a laugh and what constituted me laughing um, while I was sat in my living room on my own watching it on my laptop. And I drifted off from the story briefly, but that was during the big fight, which is usually between Peter Griffin and a chicken, and this time it's between Peter Griffin and Homer Simpson. Um, and it went on for about, I reckon, like ten minutes. It went on. It was it was just pointless television. Um, at the start of the show, before they even got to Springfield, they kind of made reference to both shows not being as funny as what it was. They were like sort of watching another show on television and going. Oh, it's not as good as what it used to be. It's like, well, right, you've obviously known there's a problem then. Why aren't you addressing it? Why are you just making fun of the fact that both programs are shit now? Why don't you kind of, why don't you address the problem rather than poke fun at your own problems? You know. Um, and then there was a lot of, of references to how they're the same. So throughout the whole thing, it was like how The Simpsons, uh, how Family Guy copied The Simpsons, how the characters are rip-offs of one another, so how fam, uh, how Peter Griffin is a rip-off of Homer Simpson, which is why Fred Flintstone popped up, because I suppose he is kind of, they're both, in a way, influenced by Fred Flintstone, which is why, he, which is, which is probably why he appeared, which in, in some ways is, is quite clever, but not when the point of being hammered home as blatantly and as bluntly as what they were in this. 
Um, <laughs> look, go on. I was just going to say, it's... I don't know if I'd even say it's clever. It's just one of those things that Simpsons seems to do now, which is reference other things. You know, previously, um, the references would be quite wittily done. But yeah. just sticking Fred Flintstone in, it's just it's so, I mean, so un-Simpsons like. I mean, it happened, used to be like with movie it, references. It, it happened because um, they discovered that Paul Tuckett Patriot beer, the beer... Uh, from Family Guy mm-hmm. was actually just Duff it was ripped off from Duff so they had a court case about that plagiarism basically the beers and then they had all the characters that were similar to each other sat next to each other in the courthouse so you had uh, the two mayors sat next to each other as incompetent mayors you had uh, the sea captain and Seamus sat next to each other as sea captain characters <laughs> and you had the two you had Dr Nick and Dr. Hartman sat next to each other as inept doctors, um, and you had Carl and Cleveland sat next to each other. That was where one of the only laughs came from, because um, Carl said something like, oh, do you know why they put us next to each other? And Cleveland said, because we're both the funniest guys in our town, and they fist-bumped. And that was about the only laugh I had for about for a good chunk of it, and it wasn't even that funny. That's where Simpsons started to go horribly wrong for me, is where they started making Homer Simpson into Peter Griffin. Yeah. Because previously he was, he was, you know, he's a, he's an idiot, but he's a, a lovable idiot, and he's always trying to do this, the 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 best thing for everyone. But I mean, I haven't watched. Granted, I haven't watched a lot of the latest episodes, and I, but I did watch the film, and now he just seems to be some sort of idiot, like well, with no well, redeeming features com- whatsoever. He, that's it. They've removed any sense of character from him. He's just a yeah. thing that still happens to. But I think, I think I think kind of of Dan. Castellana, is that how you pronounce his surname? Yeah. Has, has, has referenced it and said it's basically now what he calls jerk-ass Homer and at some points he has had to say to the writers, no, not, Homer wouldn't do this, this is too stupid, this is too far gone, this is too horrible, Homer... Because it, when The Simpsons was at his best, Homer was, gen, it was genuinely a good-natured person who was just an, a fool. Well, think about the um, the episode where they discover that um, Marge is pregnant with Maggie, and he's gone off to work in the bowling alley, and then he has to go back. Mm. And that's just like that's that's the whole character in a nutshell, really, mm. isn't it? I um, think that episode is so sweet, and it resonates so much. It you know more than a cartoon has a right to, really. And then I, th- I think both shows have had pops at each other in the past. Um, I mean, there was there was a hal- there's a Treehouse of Horror episode where Homer cloned himself, and in the middle of all the clones was just Peter Griffin. <laughs> and and I think Family Guy have had a few similar digs. And there was one scene towards the end, which basically was the both of them sat in the, in Moe's next to each other, going, "Well, I don't hate you anymore. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to be the best of friends, but but we certainly respect each other." And I was just, "Oh, really? <laughs> that that's what you're that's what you're doing, really?" It's it's just a shame, really, because all right, it is hard to maintain quality over that period of time, especially the Simpsons, which have been going for about twenty, twenty three years. I, I think. Th- I think Bart. I think Bart actually made reference to it in the thing because they because Stewie asked him how long Nelson had been bullying him. He said, "Oh, twenty four years now." <laughs> so yeah, it's hard. It's obviously hard to maintain quality for twenty four years in a TV show. That's why most TV shows don't last twenty four years. There's not many. I think well, there's not many that even last ten, is there, if we're honest? Well, Simpsons probably yeah. didn't last ten. And, 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 and obviously Family Guys lasted over his past ten 15, seasons Fifteen, I think. Now. 
Uh, South Park is into its 18th season now. Uh, South Park has maintained its quality a lot better than what The Simpsons has and what Family Guy has. Uh, it's not as good as what it was, but it's certainly maintained its quality a lot better than those two. It's definitely it's, very watchable still, South Park. I can yeah, sit down yeah. and happily watch uh, any new episode. But maybe that's the way it's written. It's, it's more reactionary and it's more, you know, I don't know, the, the, the documentary Seven Days to Air where they make an episode in seven days. Yeah. So that's, that's how kind of, that's how kind of current, that, but that's how kind of current it is. Um, so maybe that's got something to do with it. But Family Guy and The Simpsons, they both had their moment and they're both on the decline. And, and have been for a while and you just make I mean obviously there's a reason they kept going because they are popular among some people and they make money for the networks but who's really watching it and still enjoying it? That's well I think there's a, there's, there's a there's a, um, a group of people who are probably like a third of our age who've never seen the older Simpsons and so No I think them, there are more crap there are more crap series now than there are good series oh, which absolutely. is really miserable I'd say it's about half and half. I think you can... Some people won't agree, but I think you can legitimately say from the, from season one of The Simpsons until season 12, there's 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 solid good episodes in each season. Oh, it's yeah. After, it's after that that it starts declining. And it's when they start going back into the history of Simpsons and, like, making Homer into a punk band when he was at college, when, like, he wasn't actually, you know originally is at college like 20 years earlier and it just yeah. doesn't make sense and it just looks stupid yeah or the Simpsons are going to and then they're just a place name and that's it that's all they yeah. just go there and they see some of the stereotypical cultural things and then that's it and but it's yeah, the, Sim- the Simpsons have kind of even referenced that themselves there's, an ep- there's a, a clip show and they just sort of at the end had a song sort of like making up plot points for the for the rest of the you know time <laughs> And just, it was just ridiculous. And they were like poking fun at themselves and at the client. You just think, well, so you're aware of it, so stop it. Stop it then, yeah. Why is it, exactly. why has it happened? You know what's going wrong, try harder, do better. Because it, it, it's genuinely, not so much with Family Guy, but with The Simpsons, it's genuinely quite sad that it's now really shit. And it was, it was amazing. I, I did like the Lego episode. I think that would have been an amazing place to end it because it was this existential crisis where everyone found out there were bits inside of a Lego box and it would have been a brilliant way to just go, that's it, and just drop the microphone and walk off the stage. (laughs) (laughs) would have been brilliant. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't see fit to. But that that was actually quite funny. I quite enjoyed that one. I mean, part of the problem with The Simpsons is is the celebrity guests on it now where it's Mm. just like, where it's actually giving them a part and crafting them a role as they're doing a voice of a separate character like when I think it's Dustin Hoffman came in and done the voice oh, of Lisa. Oh, substitute, so, yeah. yeah some, something like that. Now or, or even when Lisa Kudrow come in and done a voice of a friend of Lisa's who come to school who Lisa didn't like in the end. Now it's just like, oh, here's 50 Cent. And he just like sticks that out of car window, he says the sentence at the bar, and that's all he does. And it's just like, oh, here's, here's Lady Gaga, and she says a line, and that's it. That's all it is now. It's like a celebrity cameo rather than creating a part for a celebrity like they used to do well they yeah. did it with Ricky Gervais didn't they and that oh, was well, that he, was he's the worst written, episode I've ever seen hasn't, I think. He, hasn't he written two episodes now or been in two episodes now he wrote but that one though that, the, that he was uh, he wrote his own part for yeah. yeah but he's, he's also done a voice in Family Guy as well now 
uh, of a dolphin. He was the, yeah, I I saw that one the other night, um, and I was trying to, and I was really struggling to really remember where the where the voice was from. <laughs> I couldn't place it. it. All I could see was a talking dolphin. So now, now every time I think of Ricky Gervais, I think of a talking dolphin. So. That's, I think that's I, well I, I think of another man who's in terminal, <laughs> something else that's in terminal decline. Um, there we, we go. Um, so yes, that's my thoughts on that. I, I'd encourage you all not to watch it, um, and if you do, watch it on something like Project Free TV, so no advertisers get your eyeballs and money from it. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll all watch it when it comes onto English television eventually, um, and hopefully dislike it as much as I did. But I know you're going to watch it anyway, but I wouldn't. I'm not going to. <laughs> I can't yeah, think of anything prob- worse. Yeah, I probably won't. Family Guy has had some good episodes. I think fam- probably family- about half a dozen episodes of them I really enjoyed. The Back to the Future one's great. Fa- family Guy, it was, it was good. It did, it, you know, it went for a point of being really... But the thing is, I'll watch Family Guy back now and not laugh at the ones that I did laugh at before. Mm. And I won't laugh at any new ones. The Simpsons, I won't laugh at the new ones. But... If I go back and watch one of the absolute classic Simpsons, I'll still laugh at it. This is where I'm very grateful for um, Virgin's EPG will tell you when an episode was first aired. <laughs> so you've got like a cut-off point of about 2000 for The Simpsons. So if it's like 90-something, you're golden. If it's after that, just, you know, change the channel. Yeah. <laughs> um, Owen, what have, what have you watched? Well, I don't know how to follow that. Um <laughs> <laughs> film I was going to talk about, or I am going to talk about still. Was the Simpsons movie. It was not the Simpsons <laughs> no, movie. No. no. It wasn't Blue Harvest by Family Guy. It wasn't the South Park movie. It wasn't any of those, I'm afraid. Um, it was uh, a film from 1955 from Denmark in black and white. Quite an existential film, I'm afraid. So You're, you're having another one of these in the post, aren't you, soon? I will be getting one of these in the post, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk was, about that at the end, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But this one's called uh, Audette, or The Word, as its English name is, but it's Audette everywhere but in America. Um, uh, The reason I'm mentioning it is because I have talked about a few of the director's films before. Uh, It's Carl Theodore Dreyer, who I'm not going to go over why I like his other films again. Passion of Joan of Arc is one of my favourite films. I like Day of Wrath, Gertrude I reviewed on here and was very disappointed by. But Audette is his film from 1955, which is the only one of his that was both commercially successful uh, and critically successful as well. So uh, his other films, some of them being quite well received by critics, they're in the sight and sound top top 10, top 100, um, but didn't make much money, and other films made money but were kind of critical flops. So this is the only one that was both. It was both, so... Um, yeah, but it's from 1955, it's set in the 1920s, and basically the, the, the story's about a family, and there's three brothers, part of this small little farming family. Um, one of them is married, but he's not atheist. Their dad's a pastor, but he's not, he's not atheist, but he just doesn't really believe. It just doesn't, you know, it, praying and going to church and all that's not really for him. There's another brother who is uh, younger, who is trying to woo another lady in their um, little village, but the father of this woman is a different pastor, and there's a bit of a feud between the two families. And the final brother 
is called Johannes, and he's probably the most interesting character in the film, because he used to study religious texts, but now he has presumably gone slightly insane and thinks he's Jesus Christ. So he wonders around... Yeah, it's a bit unusual, but... We've we've um, all been there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... uh, The film is also kind of about faith, as you'd expect, but also family, um, uh, again, about belonging, like a lot of um, Carl Theodore Dreyer's other films are. um, uh, Kind of a, a naturalistic look at... Uh, people, how these these families and religion and faith and it all comes together and what what that means to different people. It, it's it's a brilliant film. It is extraordinary. Um, is it better than Passion of Joan of Arc? Probably not. I would say it is probably better than Day of Wrath though, um, and they're both better than Gertrude by a million miles. But it, I don't know. It's a bit weird because it, it's also kind of supernatural in a little, a, a slightly peculiar way. It's either you don't really understand what's happening, and it's not because science doesn't explain it, it's because the characters can't comprehend it, or there is something spectacular going on, something you can't explain. Um, but I mean, to, 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 to talk about it without spoiling it, basically one of the brother's wives, um, she's pregnant, and during childbirth, she dies. And this causes a huge amount of grief for the family. It sort of tears them all apart, as you'd expect. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't really go into why it, it's supernatural without spoiling it any further. But, you know, the whole sort of religion about about Christ, um, it, 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 it's amazing, actually. It's, it's, it's one of these films that really forces you to think about what, what's going on. But again... Like Carl Theodore Dreyer's other films, it's very slow. Things happen at a very timid pace, and you're left to um, to pay attention to exactly what people are saying, what's going on, um, how they are interacting with each other, how just little changes are occurring through the film. And yeah, honestly, I think it's a brilliant film. I've only got Vampire left of his major films that I want to see now, and that'll be sort of his five films he made over five. Over five, over six decades, I think he made them. Um, but yeah, brilliant film. But it has kind of dragged the, the tone of this podcast today, now because it, quite, it is quite a serious film, and we were just laughing and joking about Simpsons, so I think I'll just end it there, and we can move on to some new releases, and I'll stop boring everyone. Okay. Um, <laughs> in, in, in a moment, we'll move on to some new releases, and hopefully Owen will stop boring everyone. I'll stop boring people, yes. Hopefully. time for us to review a couple of new releases now. Uh, not as many as last week, though. Only half as many as last week. Um, but, Owen, you have seen the new Denzel Washington uh, movie, The Equalizer. Yeah, The Equalizer, which is the film that is now the fourth highest, remember that, fourth highest grossing film of September ever. In the, U- in the US, or is, is it globally? Ever, I think globally, yeah. Wow. So, there you That's go. A- Mm. Uh, <laughs> is it just me but like the equaliser in England it doesn't sound like it's meant to be like probably like a gripping oh, oh this is an action film he's the equaliser because like in, in in America they don't have draws in sport but in England you see the equaliser <laughs> and you just think right it's, it's one all now 
it's a bit. Yeah, oh. I can confirm there's no Phil Jagielka in this. Yeah. Film. But 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 you get what I mean. Like it's meant to be like, and for me, it's just like the Equalizer isn't like this big, powerful like oh action film title, like the Expendables or something like that. It's just like the Equalizer. Oh, someone scored and it's one all now, and the game's <laughs> gonna and the game's gonna end like that. It's gonna be really boring. Or is it just that, is it just me that that work, that happens? No, I totally <laughs> thought of Edward Woodward instead. Yeah, well, it is based, of course, on well, sort of a remake ish of the old British TV show with Edward Woodward. Um, but there's no flaming giant wicker man in this unfortunately um, yeah this version stars obviously Denzel Washington as Robert who is uh, a man with a mysterious past and a very peculiar specific set of skills who uh, works in a hardware superstore during the day uh, he's got trouble sleeping so he frequents um, a cafe usually about one or two in the morning which is where he meets Chloe Moretz Grace. Chloe Grace Moretz, I can never remember which way around it is. Who is a prostitute who's having trouble with a client of hers. Um, but you also get to see then Denzel and, and Chloe have a kind of friendship that that develops between the two of them. But again, to, again, again and like, like anglicised versions of things. Is it is it Denzel or is it Denzel? Because Denzel just makes me think of Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> and, he's, and he's definitely not Denzel, is he? Is it is it Denzel? Well, I think in America, Denzel. Yeah, I think it's Denzel, isn't it? I think if you, I think like I've heard in America, like an American TV show, he's Denzel. Like I said, Denzel's well, Denzel's definitely over only fools and horses. Okay, different, different film. For, just yeah. for you, Steve, I will yeah. start pronouncing his name correctly. Yeah. It's Denzel. Denzel. With emphasis on the Zell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So right. Yes. Basically, due to the particular situation of Chloe Grace Moretz Chloe Moretz Grace whichever way it is due to her situation um, some things happen which forces a darker side out of Robert um, and it gets unleashed on the people who are treating uh, Chloe Grace Moretz badly uh, it's directed by Antoine Fuqua uh, the director who made uh, Olympus Has Fallen last year which I've only ever watched 10 minutes of and got bored and he also made the Mark Wahlberg thriller Shooter in 2007, which was okay as well. Uh, and going further back, he worked with Denzel Washington uh, on perhaps his most famous movie, or Fuqua's uh, most famous movie, uh, Training Day. So what... Which one was Olympus as form? Is that Channing Tatum? Jared um, Butler, isn't it? Yeah. Gerard Butler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's two, isn't there? What yeah. has down Olympus has fallen. Yeah, my dad loves it. But my dad also loves Taken 2, so, you know. I didn't think Taken 2 was too bad. <laughs> it was okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I got 10 minutes in and then I thought, well, there's another hour and 50 minutes of this to go. I've got better things to do. So, I gave up on that one. But I do like Training Day. I do like Training Day. That's a good film. And as yeah, I say, Shooter's all right as well. Um, but I think of those three movies, uh, and including The Equalizer, The Equalizer probably shares a lot more in common with um, Shooter in the way that it looks. Um, it's not very much like Training Day, but the, the sort of, you know, it's, it it has a very polished style to it. You know, have you seen Shooter, either of you? With no, I don't think I have. Okay. It's got a very gleams almost on the screen. It's just very polished, everything is very smooth, uh, very crisp. The story as well is quite dark. Um, with the equaliser it deals with a rather sad and, and lonely man who's doing things he swore he'd never do again 
She's also a little bit similar to Shooter, just a little bit similar. Um, and the colour palette seems to match the, the tone of the, the actual story. So there's lots of dark greys, dark blues. A lot of the film takes place in uh, a low-level light or even at night time. So there's nice, one nice little aspect of the film, really, uh, is the way it looks and it reflects the actual, the actual tone of, of the story as well. So I quite enjoyed that. However, uh, the quality of the film overall is just a little bit uneven. Um, Denzel is basically playing Walter White from Breaking Bad if Walter White was written for Charles Bronson's role in Death Wish. That's essentially what you're left with with The Equaliser. You know, on the face of it, he seems like quite a complex character. He's got um, OCD, you know, he's compassionate. Um, you know, there's reasons he's not married, and it's, you know, not to mention this menacing air that he just carries with him the whole time. It, it's some, there's something about him quite believably being a dangerous guy, yet he's clearly well read. He's um, he seems quite educated. He's very supportive of the people around him. But there's you know there's something sinister underneath there. And taking nothing away from Denzel's performance either, as he really does come across as a proper badass at times. There, there are a few action scenes, and he's he's great in them. So taking nothing from away from Denzel's performance, but there's there's something in it that's. I don't know. It's not his best performance, I don't think. It's also an unnecessarily long movie. You know, I mean, I'd say it was unnecessarily long. I'm sure Antoine Fuqua would probably disagree. But at 130 minutes, it's too much. And you know, I appreciate the episodic structure of it. The film, um, it make it's quite well paced. It doesn't dwell too much on one particular area. It just goes from step to step. Uh, building from uh, a slight grievance with a pimp to a big falling out with a mafia, and then his personal feud that develops with a uh, character played by Martin uh, Soskas, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, who's the guy who's hired by the Russian mafia to find out who Denzel Washington is. Denzel, sorry, not Denzel. Uh, it's too late now. Uh, yeah, too late, I've said it. You've <laughs> said it now. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's very well structured. It's just there's no real reason that the structure had to last over two hours. There were, there were scenes that feel a little bit like filler. And it's a long time to watch a man just be quite cool for a bit. You know, he's a, he, okay, he's a right wing vigilante sort of character, but he is quite cool and it's just, it's not enough to, to stain it for two hours. And I feel like it's harsh criticising it as well by calling it shallow because it's not that I didn't enjoy it, it's just that what you get is what you see. And that's fine sometimes, that's fine. But it just isn't any more than the sum of its parts. And there's no real social commentary either. It's all, I mean, it's all a bit fantastical, and ultimately it's a decent action thriller with some very good individual scenes. Um, and I don't say this very often, because I also think this is quite a shallow thing to say, but it has my favourite explosion scene in any film this year. And I've seen Transformers 4, and I had plenty of explosions in it. But this, this has a better explosion scene. Um, and, and like I said, there are very good individual scenes. The final showdown bit, which is inevitable with an action thriller that takes place, is a really good, suspenseful bit of action. But that's all it is. It's it's a good enough film, good enough action thriller, but it's nothing more. And for a film that's got to be over two hours long, it needs something more to it. So it is a little bit lacking, it is a little bit shallow. But like I say, maybe that's... I'm looking for the wrong things and I should just accept it as all it is which is just an action thriller with Denzel Washington shooting some bad guys and so for that it's it's okay it's quite good but 
it needed more for me, and it didn't it didn't have it. Okay, and Carol has seen uh, a map to the stars. Maps to the stars. Maps to the stars. Come on, it's better. It's better than <laughs> a, a, wanted by most people. Yeah, yeah it's better. It's, it was, I was like one word out on that one, wasn't I? I put an at in. I put an at in front. They, you know, other than that, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, tell us about that one. You and your superfluous words. Mm. Yeah, t- uh, talking about things that, that needed more to them. Um, so yeah, I, I saw this. I, I like David Cronenberg. I, I do like his films. Well, what, the films that I've seen of his, I'm not just talking about The Fly and, and Scanners mm. and Videodrome, but also uh, History of Violence. I love that film. Mm. Really, really good film. Uh, Eastern Promises. Uh, I haven't seen Cosmopolis, which is his previous film. Uh, to prior to Maps of the Stars uh, with Robert Pattinson, but I hear it is very good. So this arrives with quite a lot of um, quite a lot of promise, and I was quite looking forward to seeing this. Uh, so basically, it, it follows kind of an ensemble cast. Really, they are all connected together, kind of loosely, um, in Hollywood. And you have uh, so you have like a child star who is just like one of the best performances in the whole thing. I think he's utterly he's he's like a smaller Justin Bieber, a, like massively obnoxious little shit, who's made his fortune in these uh, in these crappy kind of kids films about babysitters, and uh, it's just fantastic, absolutely brilliant performance by the uh, by the young lad. I think his name's Evan uh, I can't, Evan Davis. I think it was. Um, but uh, yeah, so it also stars uh, John Cusack, and John Cusack's one of my favourite people as well. I absolutely love him. He's he's been in some in some nonsense. His quality control is is a bit poor at times, but he's always worth watching in it. Uh, Julianne Moore, I think, is pretty much the same as well. Um, and you know, even Robert Pattinson, you know, he, he's yeah, all right, he's been in Twilight, but he's also been in a couple of, of decent films. But uh, so you know, yeah, my expectations for this were really high, and I think. That, pros- that probably worked against it quite a lot because I found it really, really dull. Um, it's meant to be a, a satire on, on the whole kind of Hollywood thing. And, it, and you know, it, Hollywood's pretty self-piss-taking as it is. I, I think if you're going to make a satire of, of Hollywood life, you have to make it really on the nose and on the mark. Um, but with this, it just felt like everything was just kind of put together. It was kind of like the... the, the, the um, sentence that I thought of while I was watching this was, in ITV used to do really good satires like Spitting Image and stuff, but now, if ITV did a satire, it would be Maps to the Stars. It's just horribly obvious and, and just mm. painfully kind of hitting you over the head with the same point over and over and over again. And it's just incredibly dull, you know, there's nothing, nothing really happens until the last half an hour. The last half an hour, you know, you, you do get a bit of the you do get a bit of the uh, satirical kind of stuff going on but mainly it's just people saying look aren't we really clever at how we're taking the piss out of the whole Hollywood system here oh look this is just we're you know we're all massively clever and and we're all above it where in fact they're not because I saw Julianne Moore in fucking Hannibal and that's one of the worst films I've ever seen so she can just get to fuck (laughs) frankly (laughs) quite frankly it was just it's not a horrible film but it's just it's painfully boring. It's not even two hours long. And I was checking my watch about half an hour through, thinking it must have been... I, I don't normally check my watch much during a film. I saw The Riot Club as well um, this week, and the first time I checked my watch was ten minutes before the end. Um, but yeah, half an hour into this, and I was kind of looking at the hour hand as well, thinking, that can't be right. <laughs> I can't have only been in here for half an hour. It's just, it's painfully 
doll. It's had some great reviews. It, I think the Guardian gave it five stars. I just couldn't get on board with it at all. It's just, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer. Um, there are some decent performances in it, admittedly. Um, Olivia Williams is really good, I think. And, um, I'm going to horribly fail at saying her name again, but, um, Mia, uh, Wasikowska? Wasikowska, I think. Wasikowska. Oh, it wasn't far yeah. off. Um, she, she's pretty decent as well. She's kind of this messed up kid who arrives on a bus in, in Hollywood at the beginning of the film. Um, so yeah, she's pretty decent. And the, and the kid who plays the kind of, the kid who plays Justin Bieber, essentially, is, uh, is really, really good. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's really kind of, it's really boring. Uh, it makes a big point of mentioning lots of kind of star names, like Carrie Fisher pops up at one point because everyone's just mentioned her. She's like Candyman. Everyone's mentioned her like three times and she pops up. And, uh, it's just, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. And, and this is coming from a, as I said, a big fan of Cronenberg. So you might enjoy it, but I definitely didn't. <laughs> Oh Seems like oh. we're the opposite way around to uh, the Guardian this week because they gave the Equalizer one star. We, I would say that was a bit better than than that. I think they were a bit harsh on that, and you think they've been too generous with maps to the stars. So I think Cronenberg probably merits an automatic five stars from them, no matter what he's done. Wow. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is worthy of five stars in any way, shape, or form. I just it just wasn't entertaining on the basis level. It just wasn't entertaining enough. So the oh. fail critics rivalry with Peter Bradshaw continues. I was going to say, was it Peter James's Bradshaw? Absence. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I didn't check. But uh... the Guardian's Jon Snow. Yeah, one, of the, <laughs> one of the people who wrote films about the Guardian linked my article about the Green Arrow, not Green Lantern. So that's true. So that that came out of nowhere. That surprised me. <laughs> one way rivalry. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> you saying about it now. So what the fuck? All right, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, so that's uh, almost all for this week then. Uh, just before we go, some recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend the, f- the film that I spoke about uh, in what we've been watching last week. It's going to be on BBC iPlayer. It's called Marvelous, um, about a guy called Neil Bolden and played excellently by Toby Jones. You all need to go and watch it. Uh, Owen? Uh, I'm cheating, I'm choosing two, because I don't know how long one of them's been on net- Netflix, but The Sacrament is on Netflix, which is Ty West's latest film, Better Cult, which is pretty good. But on ITV4, on Sunday, at 25 past two in the afternoon, uh, psychological thriller starring Lawrence Harvey as a soldier who was captured during the Korean War and brainwashed into carrying out assassinations after certain triggers, which is called uh, The Manchurian, or Mancurian Candidate. Um... It's very good. Frank Sinatra's in it. He's great as well. It's a very good 1960s post-war psychological drama. Okay, and um, Carol? I think The Manchurian Candidate's on Saturday as well, because I o- almost recommended ah, it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah, I've actually got two as well, because there's a good reason for this, though, because you can watch the first one, and if you don't like it, you can switch over to the second one, because the first one's not going to be for everyone. But on t- uh, five... Is it called Channel 5 or is it just called 5 now? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, on Sunday at 10pm is uh, The Punisher. Uh, not the Dolph Lundgren version, but the Thomas Jane version, which I found perfectly adequate, thank you very much. Yeah, it's alright. It's, it's not bad. It gets a really bad reputation. Uh, it's not as good as the Ray Stevenson. It's not as good as Warzone. But, uh, uh, I thought it was better than that. Really? Even with Kevin Nash in it. I still oh, thought no. it was better than Warzone. Okay. 
fair enough but uh, yeah that's on um, 10 o'clock but if you don't if you watch that and you're like oh John Travolta's a bit hammy for me I'm afraid <laughs> then you can turn over at 10 to 11 on film 4 is uh, The Kids Are Alright which I remember reviewing a few few podcasts back um, about a lesbian couple whose kids decide they want to find their biological dad and it's quite good it's quite sweet it's got some great performances in it Okay, uh, so that's all for this week's podcast. Next week, uh, I suppose we'll be reviewing Gone Girl. Yes, yes. well, you will be. I won't be here. You'll, you'll be absent. I'll be in New York. Uh, <laughs> oh, and we're going to have to find someone else to step in. Cause I can't. I can't talk to you for an hour and publish it because <laughs> oh, no. God knows what. God knows what will happen. Um, but next week, or on the website as well, in, in the next week or so. Um, we will have a review of a French film from the 1930s that was banned by the Vichy government, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say ever <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah. Yes, the people from uh, EM Foundation who done who worked with us and basically were really nice to us, um, helping us with all the interviews and inviting us to screenings of Next Goal Wins, uh, got in touch with me in the week and asked me personally if I'd like to, to review... Uh, le, le jour se lève is how it's said in France. Um, oh, and what is that in English? You're asking the wrong person. Carol's the one who did French. Oh, I Car- don't know that. That's beyond my. That's beyond oh, my limits. <laughs> well, jour is day. is the English title. Yeah, it translates as the translates as the sun comes up. Um, okay. In, if I put it through Google Translate, but Owen's done a bit of research and found out it, the English is set daybreak. Daybreak. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Because when um, you told me about it, I had no idea what it was, and then when I looked it up online, I was like, "Oh, daybreak! Yeah, I know of daybreak, but I never thought I'd watch it." Um, oh, oh, daybreak! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, we've got that to look forward to on the on the website in the in the week to come, uh, as well as all the usual stuff we can film box office reviews um, Callum's probably doing something as well um, reviewing <laughs> DreamWorks yeah. film I expect <laughs> without a yeah. doubt yeah um, and all the usual stuff and we'll be back same time next week ish with a with a podcast uh, minus Carol <laughs>